This episode is brought to you by The Wellness Company and more specifically, their Spike Support Formula. This product is a revolutionary, you guys. I was introduced to The Wellness Company Spike Support from my friend Kid Carson and was immediately interested as I myself have been deep diving into the literature of COVID spike proteins, which is the legacy of the COVID virus and the vaccines, and it's linked to all kinds of long haul issues. And people want to know, how the heck do I get this out of my body and protect myself moving forward? Well, the all-natural solution that I have been using is Spike Support. The Spike Support formula is a unique combination of targeted ingredients researched to block and dissolve COVID spike protein in the bloodstream. So whether you got the shot, you're watching the research pour in about the vaccine shedding, or you had a rough go with COVID, spike protein is a serious concern. And while we won't know the true extent of the damage for years, there is something you can do now to protect yourself and keep you and your family well. Hundreds of people, vaccinated or not, have reported better mental clarity, increased energy levels, and many more positive outcomes from the spike support formula. Take spike support daily to combat spike proteins and get back to that pre-COVID feeling. Go to twc.health forward slash unfiltered and use code unfiltered to save 10% at checkout. That's twc.health forward slash unfiltered code unfiltered for 10% off. Hello everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa Curry-Lowitz and I'm here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind. And I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 169 of the Elisa Unfiltered podcast. My name is Elisa, and today is Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome, welcome. And if you are a fan, I mean, if you've listened to more than one episode, I really believe you're going to love today's conversation with Dr. Kevin Preston, because once again on the show, we are chatting about suppressed information things that people are now deemed woo-woo, crazy to think that we have abandoned most of our innate intelligence when it comes to medicine, when it comes to healing, when it comes to our health, but here we are. And we talk about how you can pay attention, heal yourself at the root, and take a little bit more time to go deeper into observing and shifting your overall health. Dr. Kevin Preston is a doctor of Chinese medicine. He's an herbalist and acupuncturist trained in biological medicine. He has developed a progressive, thorough, and heart-based approach to Chinese science by blending in progressive tools and education and is known for his experience treating toxicity, chronic illness, and mystery syndromes. You know, those things that no one can really identify. Why can't I get better? I hear it all the time. Mystery syndromes are just running wild in today's society. So in this episode, we deep dive into that, as well as the myths and misinformation of the ancient practice of Chinese medicine, how you have the power to heal, and why lifestyle, stress, and the environment from which you live 
play a massive role in your short-term and long-term mental, emotional, and physical health. Dr. Preston leads by example and shares his journey along with some case studies to further unlock the true potential of this ancient innate intelligence of the body, which again, we are being conditioned to forget. So I'm glad you're tuning in today. This episode has a great vibe. We have a lot of fun and we want you to join the conversation. You ready to get started? Let's go. Here is Dr. Kevin Preston. Dr. Kevin Preston, thank you so much for coming here today. How are you? Doing great this morning. How are you? I'm great. You're in Vernon. It's one of my favorite places. We're so lucky here because we have, (sighs) you know, mountains and rivers and lakes and all kinds of just, yeah, beautiful landscapes to play in. So very blessed. Do you ski or snowboard? Snowboard. Okay. Yes, I do skate ski. Okay. Okay. So you're like, like, do you like, oh, so, so you, you go on trails to skate ski. So you was like cross country skiing. Yeah. Okay. But you know, okay. you're, you're like skating and I think I wipe out more skate skiing than I do snowboarding, which is an interesting thing. Cause it's really theatrical when you do it skate skiing. <laughs> I know. Cause your heels aren't, you're, he- something's happening to my mic here. I don't know. Oh, can you, hear, can you hear me? I can. Did you hear me the whole time there? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, ski- your heels aren't attached when you're when you're skate skiing and you're like skating and your heels aren't attached. So like if something happens, seems like a lot of moving parts and I'm getting better at it for sure. But (laughs) I have some epic wipeouts where you try to save it and it just makes it worse. So Mm. it's a good time. It's a good workout. Yeah. Um, Silver star. Do you go uh, fun fact about me? I uh, used to ski for team Canada for eight years in freestyle skiing. Do you know who Josh Duick is? This is weird. I'm just asking you. Okay. He's a super huge player in uh, Vernon and he grew up there and actually uh, became a Paralympian. He broke his back freestyle skiing and then he crushed the Paralympics. I don't know if the world is that small, but just wanted to ask you here sometimes, but yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, thankfully you said yes to the show. We had 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 a crazy sort of interaction. We were both at MYM. We never talked in person and now we're here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love it so much. And you are a doctor of Chinese medicine, correct? True. Yeah, that's true. You are one of the most fascinating humans, the things you study. And I'm very much attracted to it. And here's why. There's this really interesting thing about waking up to your conditioned mind, if you will, to to connecting and embodying spirituality, for example, where you start to really connect the mind, body, soul, and realize that we're all one with that. And, or maybe I'm not saying it exactly the way you might hear it or be used to saying it. And how there is always an innate root cause to illness, to any stress or struggle that doesn't necessarily need to be healed or, or fixed with a bandaid. Um, with something on the surface level. So one of the, I used to work with a Chinese medicine doctor. His name was Sonny in Vancouver. Um, when I trained in Whistler, I'd drive to Vancouver and see this guy. And he really opened my eyes because he helped me with a lot of mental um, instability, if you will, with me. Some of my depression and anxiety with 
alternative medicine. He was doing like acupuncture to help me with anxiety and depression. I was like, what is happening here? And, and I always felt really good and great. And that was sort of my first introduction. I was like a, in my early twenties and thinking to myself, like, why, why doesn't everybody know about this? <laughs> so I guess getting to my first question here, <laughs> um, what's one of the most maybe frustrating things that you see in your practice or what's, let me, let me rephrase. What's sort of a, a barrier of entry to come into the Chinese medicine world, into plant-based medicines, into the more um, holistic healing? I think from a, a Western medicine mindset, scientific mm -hmm. mindset, I hear that quite a bit. It's like, well, Chinese medicine is, you know, I want something that's like science-based. Mm -hmm. That's sometimes what I hear. And actually at the hot springs a few days ago, I was talking with somebody who was soaking next to me by the river and he, we chatted about acupuncture mm -hmm. and it was a great conversation and he had had acupuncture and he said, you know, I, I was skeptical at first cause I'm more of a science-based person. And so whenever somebody shares that, that's totally fine. And Chinese medicine is one of the most like scientific yes. paradigms on the planet. It's all, of course, based on thousands of years of like research. And to me, that always held a lot of weight of a, a deep foundation. It's one of the longest enduring medicines on the planet. And so when you learn more about Chinese medicine, you start going through the body and the way they view the organs and the way the function is actually at a deep level. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly deductive in terms of its reasoning. And there's a whole like flow chart that you would move through as a Chinese medicine doctor to discover what is the root source. So it's actually incredibly analytical. And then there's this idea of tracking energy in the body or call it chi, vital force. And I think that's where that trips people up a little bit is like, well, hang on, organs, yes, circulation, nervous system, like all these things. But as soon as you say energy, then there can be a bit of a disconnect. I think right. it's there's a big disconnect in our society, especially North America, of disconnect with self, disconnection with nature, with where food comes from, with how our bodies actually stay healthy. So there's a, a few layers. So to me, depending on where somebody's coming from, can almost kind of feel their level of disconnection with what's going on in their body. Like the body is energy. It's electrical, it's voltage, it's chemistry, it's all of these things. And yeah, we build energy every day. That's really fascinating because Chinese medicine was like the predominant form of healing prior to modern medicine. And so how did that shift happen so quickly? Because modern medicine is like not that old. We didn't even have antibiotics like in the 20s or whatever, mm -hmm. <laughs> like 100 years ago. Yeah, a lot of things have changed, obviously, in the last 100 years, 120 years, and it continues to change in big ways. I think one of the things I've seen in practice for myself, I always go back to some of the old school ways of thinking about the body. And, you know, these practices that have sort of been lost, but 100 years ago, like most people knew them. Or, you know, 200 years ago, most people knew them, and they use them all the time, healing with plants, how to be in nature, what to eat, what not to eat, like all those different things. Like medicine was the way we lived and that has shifted Ooh. a lot. How, why, how, do, what do you think was the biggest catalyst? Like why do, are we moving away from the nature of things? Probably scalability for one business. And I'm not going to say efficiency in a bad way or a good way. You know, people can decide what they want to think about that, but 
when you start producing things in mass, there is a certain efficiency about it. Like, you know, if you have a vehicle manufacturer and they make like one truck <laughs> model yeah. and that's it. And then another complete truck model, like that's not very efficient. So from a medicine point of view to get lots of medicine, we'll say to the population, I can appreciate the scalability of efficiency to manufacture like one thing many, many times. However, Chinese medicine was always based on the individual and a lot of the alternative types of medicine where you view the body holistically, you can never really treat everybody the same because you're different than me. Yes, we're both human. We have a heart. We have a brain like we have our individual nature on, in addition to that. So the way that I would treat you if you had like migraines or something and I had 10 other patients that came in with that issue, completely different treatment. And so from a, a conventional point of view, generally, they'd maybe give the same pill or pain medication to all 10 people. And so that's where there's like this big split is one is very, in some ways, efficient and scalable, even though it doesn't treat the root issue. The other one is harder to scale, but it's so individually customized to exactly what you have going on. And to me, there's nothing better in terms of medicine is like working individually with somebody and looking at everything that's going on in their life instead of just applying while we have this, you know, there's millions of these pills produced. So we'll just get you on this bandwagon. Maybe it'll help you. Maybe it won't, but it doesn't really go deeper than that very often. So that's, I think, where there's been a huge split is one's more maybe business focused and scalable and efficient. The other one to me, much deeper much more customized, much more connected to the person. And maybe that's a, a big issue in medicine today. It's not really connected to the whole person. You get like one complaint when you go to the doctor and you can't talk about anything else. And then you get a medication for that possibly or, or a suggestion. And I know there's lots of great docs out there too, but I do feel they're very limited with what they're allowed to do. Like even time-wise, if I had two or five minutes with somebody, I'm not going to do the best job I can compared to 30, 40 minutes, two hours, three hours. I do lots of deep dive stuff too. Then you get through some layers there and then you can imagine the type of medication or treatment I could prescribe from that place of understanding so much about a person completely different. It's so true. When I went to, I, I switched doctors when I was, I don't know. Um, I, when I switched doctors, she was like, yes, you can come in. You can have one issue per appointment. If you have two things, you need to book two appointments. Cause I have to stay on time. That was what she said. I have to be on time. And if we're talking too long, I won't be on time. And we respect our time here. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. I like this person. She's like, da, 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 da. but then I realized there's more than one thing happening and it's super inconvenient for me to have to keep coming back here and seeing you and getting you know, the cream for the same rash that I keep getting or the meds for the same like eye itch or whatever. And <clears throat> it's really interesting how when you start to sort of open the door, the crack, the cracking open, like this isn't actually fixing me I, like how I and I don't think a lot of humans today are there. Why do you think that is like, what is it about the medical community, the modern medicine that has closed the door on alternative? It's called woo woo. It's like woo woo stuff now. Yeah, <laughs> that always makes me laugh or back in the day when I'd look up things on Google, you know, yeah, acupuncture and you'd find like quack watch come up and all these things talking about how <laughs> shitty acupuncture is and how it's just a scam yes. stuff like that. I'm like, huh. 
5,000 year scam, it's going pretty well. Like somebody must be benefiting from that, you know? Exactly. Kind of would make me chuckle that I could learn ancient medicine and lots of people would just say that is totally garbage. And I could also feel the results, see the results. And it doesn't bother me anymore. I think I took it more personally the first few years in practice because you're not really confident yet. You don't, you feel like you have to defend it or something. And so if somebody wants me to defend it, I I don't like they can think whatever they want. And if they want to have a good discussion, totally happy to do that. I think one of the main issues is, well, probably a big topic of today, disempowerment, you know, and that we put all these things outside of ourselves. And I have patients that come in, even though they believe in acupuncture, Chinese medicine, they have gotten good results with me in in different ways of treatment. And they'll come in with an issue and say, can you just give me an herbal medication for that? And in some ways, it can be a similar mindset. You just go to the doctor, like, can you give me something to fix that? Just give me the pill. Yeah, like Mm -hmm. I can. And sure, I can give you some formula. I can give you uh, an herbal medication. It'll probably help you feel better. And the more I practice, though, the more I'm that guy that's asking more questions. Why is this coming up, though? And sure, we could just like stem the, you know, the symptom a little bit, but you're going to be back. And I think it's more time efficient to just get to the root of the issue and sort that out than have somebody come back again and again and again and again. And, you know, even what we were just talking about with what is happening with um, mainstream medicine, you can have one complaint. And I think if you went to the mechanic with a vehicle and you had several things going on and they're like, nope, we're only fixing your tire today, the engine, the muffler, the other things, you're going to have to book a separate appointment for that. You'd think like, that doesn't sound very efficient for me or for you guys. Why wouldn't you just get all the work done? You have my vehicle, it's on the hoist. And so, you know, we've gotten off track, I would say, with like really connecting with people. And even mm. what you just said is the doctor's like, hey, we respect time here. Totally get that. Then I also feel like not really, though. Because not really. Yeah. You have something to share about your health that involves all of you. And they're like, nope. We respect your time only if it's five minutes and anything over that. We don't respect your time, but mm-hmm. I, I have compassion for that because they got a waiting room full of like 40 people sitting there that mm-hmm. all want to see them too. So they've decided that this model of touching in to me in not a deep way, then just perpetuates that cycle of never really getting to depth. And that's one of the things I've chosen in my work is to spend time with people because then I can get deep. And it's kind of what I do with friends nowadays, too. Like long gone are the days where you could just do shallow conversation and be fulfilled by that. I can't do it anymore. I want to go deep. And so if a patient comes in and they got issues, I'm going to ask those questions. How's your work? How's your life? How's your relationship? And that just takes time if you're actually listening to somebody. But I'm choosing to take time because it's enriching for me also. I get to know people at a level that maybe a lot of their friends don't even. And I get to understand like the inner workings of their world. And then I can use all my experiences or or wisdom or things that I've learned to apply that in the most efficient way possible. And to me, you're going to save thousands of dollars and thousands of hours of time if you take a little bit more time in the beginning to, I guess, do the do the job right. Do you think, Okay, so as you're speaking, these ideas are swirling in my mind, for example. And one of the things that came up was trust, trust in the medical system. For me, the trust in the medical system is waning, not to say that I don't think it's important, not to say that like acute, like the medical, modern day medical system 
absolutely saves lives and absolutely is miracles. Like they, per, they perform miracles. And I've used that system my whole life, basically in many ways. And they've, I've been saved. Um, and I, I like what you say about the deeper thing. Like the more and more that I'm sort of aware, like this, the idea that things aren't the way that I've been told they are. And the band-aid approach is maybe not the approach that I want because sometimes it is. Sometimes it's like, make the pain stop, make this go away now because we're so, I don't know, short-sighted because we're, we want instant relief of something. I get it. And then when it keeps coming back or when the problem doesn't go away, then it's like, okay, now what? For example, um, so I'm having my partner and I, we're um, trying to have a baby and we've been, we're on a three-year infertility path. And we did, uh, we went through all the fertility testing with the Ottawa Fertility Clinic and we um, sat down with the doctor. We had 15 minutes with our fertility doctor and she gave us all the stats from all of our blood work, all of our hormone testing, all of our whatever. And they said, we have a 2.8% chance of conceiving naturally. And I was like, huh, where'd you come up with that number? And she's like, oh, well, this is, this is that, this is a statistics and da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, why is it so low? If you say we're a hundred percent fertile, so we're both fertile, but we have a 2.8%. And she said, because of your age, I was, I'm 42 now. I was 41 when we had this conversation and I was like, huh? Okay. So because of my age, I have a 2.8%. And she never once said, what kind of sleep are you getting? How often are you having sex? How good is your sex? How, like, how much, what are you eating? (laughs) Yeah. If you have, exactly. Right. When are you doing it? Are you tracking it? Like there's, there was no question outside of the numbers on the screen. And we both left that office and we were like, that was weird. Like, what was that? And then I started doing fertility acupuncture with this amazing woman. Her name is Kristen Greenacre here in Ottawa. And she, the first, I sat down with her. And the first thing she asked me was, how's your life? How's your relationship? What's your, how much sleep are you getting? What are you eating? What's your diet? Do you drink enough? Do She's like asking me all these things. And I'm like, this is what I thought it was going to be in the medical system, which is now, now they're pushing us to spend $15,000 on IVF. That's all they wanted was like, what treatment would you like IVF or, you know, mm-hmm. we were like, oh, seriously, that's our option. So it was like annoying. Yeah. Well, and you're speaking to some amazing things here and there's like 20 things I'd love to share, but yeah, share them all. Hurry up. Well, Let's go. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, like <laughs> Don't hurry up. <laughs> instant gratification. Yeah. You know, and it seems like I don't like generalizing too much, but I could see for myself, especially in the past, this like instant gratification idea. And so that's been ported over to medicine in a really big way. And again, I'm not trying to knock the MDs out there. My mom was a nurse for many years. And so I grew up more on the Western medicine side of things. I took science in the past. I love all kinds of medicine. It just needs to be applied in the right way for the the right issue, the right tools. I've had surgeries. I was grateful for anesthetic that I didn't have to Mm -hmm. be awake for that type of thing. Old school, bite a stick, you know? Yeah. But then what I would have loved is proper detoxification protocols to get all that stuff out of my system so it doesn't stay as a neurotoxin in your body. (sighs) 
or here's all the steps that you can do to prepare for your surgery. So even talking about, oh my God. if you're going to do IVF, it's a lot more known now that a lot of people do acupuncture and herbal medicine to prepare for IVF. And to yes. me, that's like a pretty good marriage of Western medicine and Eastern medicine is like prepare the body and then you'll have a higher chance of success when doing the intervention. But if we kind of rewind a lot of what you just shared there, like even the thousands of cases I've seen in the clinic, I've treated a lot of fertility. I've had my own fertility story. Um, my former wife and I, when we were looking at possibly having kids, even though we weren't ready for that at all, she got a whole bunch of testing done and they basically said, you'll never get pregnant. And even if you do IVF and all these interventions, you probably still won't. You should probably look at adoption. And I remember sitting in a reproductive endocrinologist's office and me, like late 20s, being like, I don't even want to have kids yet. Like, what's going on right now? You guys are <laughs> getting intense. Just a second. I yeah. got stuff I want to put in my life into place before that happens. But I do remember thinking, that's not very positive. And I understand what she's saying based on the data she's seeing, but like, I think there's like 90% more data here that is not being put on the table. So anyway, long story short, I ended up doing a bunch of acupuncture. We did some Chinese medicine. We weren't trying and she got pregnant naturally and we didn't even know. And we only found out like at 12 weeks because she had a bunch of symptoms come up that were like unexplained. And right. The sound and there was like a baby there and we were both just so blown away. But <laughs> I had Get seen, out. Like, <laughs> This is crazy. We so we skipped the whole first trimester of preparing for pregnancy and just like, yep, here's here's what's happening. And I was just so shocked and blown away that that was happening. But also, I had seen it in practice with doing treatment, and then certainly after that too. My daughter's almost fifteen. That now I've been in practice for pretty well fifteen years, and I've treated thousands of cases. But these like subtle things are everything. I've had cases where they weren't getting pregnant. They've been trying for several years. We did a bunch of treatments. We mainly had focused on the, the woman in that case with a bunch of the things she had going on. And then she was good and like healthy. Everything was 100%. And I was like, case, go have fun. Like, enjoy lovemaking, enjoy that passion and that like intensity that can come together. Like, that's how you want to conceive, not the the business transaction. Yeah. So a few months later, she came back and she said, Hey, it's not, it's not happening. And I was like, okay, what about your, your guy? We got to see him. And so we eventually did, but when it came down to it, this was maybe a few months later, I knew there was something more. And in a really deep discussion in one of the clinic visits with her, I discovered that she was totally fearful of conceiving with the person she was with because he was so unhealthy and she was worried that they would get pregnant and mm. then he was going to die and leave her on her own to raise a family by herself. And that innate intelligence, especially in a woman's body was like, nope, we're not conceiving right now because the environment is not safe. But for her, it was, kind of conscious, but mostly subconscious. So we ended up addressing that and going a little bit deeper. I gave her a bunch of things to do and guess what? Pregnant and, you know, went on and had kids, but that thing wasn't being addressed. And I had missed it as well. Cause we covered like everything else. And yeah. Like, Good. Oh, your body's totally ready. And the body's like, yeah, I can, but I'm choosing not to. 
because I don't trust what's going to happen here. And I'm really scared about that. And the body's like, all right, cool. We won't do that then. We'll just, we'll hold this back until it feels safe. And you see this with the animal kingdom. You know, if there's not enough resources or, or plant life for deer and there, there's not a safe environment, they won't reproduce that year. But maybe the next year they might have triplets if it's like abundant food. Do you know like uh, um, coyotes? Have you heard of how coyotes work? They do roll call. So if you, if you, I would live in the country, so we hear them at night. It's crazy. They're always howling and they roll call. So there's leaders and they see who calls back and they know who is in the tribe. If they've been under attack, if they've had like a, a battle or whatever, they do always do roll call. And the moms, the, the females, if they do roll call and their whole pack is there, when they get pregnant, they'll have one or two pups. But when the pack gets smaller, they'll in their innate, what did you call it? Intelligence uh, creates five, six, seven pups every time they roll call. If their pack gets smaller because they need the numbers to survive. So it's a survival thing. Otherwise, they keep it small because too many is also difficult. So they <clears throat> regulate their packs, the female. Isn't that freaking fascinating? This is the intelligence of the body. And I think this is something that I'm completely like fascinated with mm. over and over and over again. This never gets old is like how intelligent the body actually is and how intelligent these like systems are, the reproductive system, our brains, our organs, and how it all sort of orchestrates together. So when we do treatment in the clinic and a holistic view, all of that is included all of that is looked at and I, I can share like hundreds of cases like that where mm -hmm. it wasn't working. And then we identified the thing that was actually blocking it, but it wasn't always the physical body. And so we've kind of been trained mm -hmm. to not trust the intelligence of the body or not trust the inherent wisdom that's there. If something's not happening, I always believe there's a reason for it. Yeah. And if I don't understand the reason or I'm not seeing it or we're not getting the result, then I just keep expanding that circle until the thing is included and that might be mental emotional mostly it's that <laughs> and yeah maybe it, you know work or passion or just not feeling like you found your purpose in life and all kinds of things can be impacted in your body you know and especially in relationships there's there's so much data coming out about this now if somebody's having any kind of health issue i'm always asking how's your relationship and i've literally had people say i hate my spouse, <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> that is going to affect your body. Like it is, you know, it's, yeah. you can go to bed every night and, and lay beside somebody for days and days and days or weeks or months or years and despise them. And I don't suddenly say, oh, you got to ditch that person. I say, this needs to be addressed within your body. Yes. How would you like to go about addressing this? Maybe there's some dynamics that have nothing to do with your spouse it's your own stuff. Let's, you know, let's work on that and expand that circle because they might be coming in because their low back pain is chronic or chronic headaches or, you know, they have tension because when they fall asleep at night, their body is so angry or full mm. of grief or resentment. You can't roll out of bed in the morning feeling like open and limber and happy about the day if you've just spent eight hours in that type of like physical energy of your system and that will affect your health directly and these things just get overlooked all the time all the time and just to go back like the one of the problems that i had with that whole fertility experience and i know that this impacts people is when the doctor said so an authority figure who knows better than me says 
it's because of your age. 2.8% chance of fertility because of your age. I could have taken the frequency of that idea and planted it deep inside of my subconscious and spun around with it. It's my fault. I'm too old. It's never going to happen. And that frequency builds into more, into more, into more, into more. And then who knows what that would create in my body. It could create depression, anxiety. Sure. It could create lack of sleep. So now I'm not functioning and sleep for me is a lead domino in my health without good sleep. The other pillars don't fall as easily. And it could, you know, all of a sudden a year down the road of it could cause resentment. It could cause me to blow my life up. It could cause illness. Like it could cause a lot of things. And, and it came from someone who's supposed to have, supposed to be helping me, who's supposed to know how to fix it. So it's like this interesting thing. So I guess there's two things there, but one is, one is the root cause thought, the root cause idea, belief system in you, and then the manifestation of illness. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about that, if that's okay, because illness doesn't just appear. We are taught that the symptom is the thing we need to address, like mass the symptom. Am I on track here with that? Yeah, I think so much of our uh, many upbringings in North America, especially, is we're just sort of like triaging things. And yes. an issue comes mm. up and you just get that issue. And so, you know, even like Tylenol, for example, there's like 50 kinds of Tylenol, like Tylenol arthritis, Tylenol for pain, Tylenol for sleep, Tylenol had a bad day, whatever it is. And so <laughs> all of these are symptom based. And I'm not saying there's not use for that. Like when I had knee surgery in the past, I played a lot of sport. I wanted pain medication because it was so painful. I couldn't sleep and you can get into this downward spiral. So I understand using things properly. However, there's a lot of things available, you know, naturally that are as effective pain relief. So we, without going into that, even statistically speaking, the limiting thought or that limiting belief, depending on your mindset, and because you're a big mindset person, you help coach people, you help people understand their own psyche, you as a person may take that and then question it and be like, that doesn't really apply to me. And mm -hmm. here's all these other reasons why. Thank you for the information. And mm -hmm. I'm going to slide that back across the table to you. Yeah. No, thanks. <laughs> your biological age may not be your chronological age. And I've seen both of mm -hmm. these things be mm -hmm. true, where somebody who's 32 may have a biological like health and vitality imprint that's closer to 45. Right. Like they may not be healthy and vital. And I've seen the opposite. Somebody 45 they're rocking out like a 32, 33 year old, then yes, there are certain things biologically that happen as we get chronologically older, but that can be changed and shifted and nourished in such a potent way that gives you a much higher chance of success. And I think one of the notions in Chinese medicine, um, I remember this from probably like the first weeks of school, our teachers saying Chinese medicine views the body as a garden. Western medicine views it more as a machine where you got interchangeable parts in some cases, Ooh. And, you know, looking at the garden, and this is especially true since we're on the fertility thread here, nourishing the soil. How's the pH? How's the water? How's the sunlight? Like, what is the content of the body? If you're going to plant a seed something in, you know, a garden or a human body, then what's the environment like? And is that going to grow and be something that's really healthy and nourishing or maybe not? And so when we look at it that way, you take like a, a bigger approach and a self-responsibility approach of what am I doing? Because I do see this a lot too. Somebody maybe gets a diagnosis and they're like, well, 
they told me I'm going to have this forever and there's nothing I can do about it. I have to have this medication forever. And so that's just my, my plot in life. And then they come and see me. And half of the first visits usually for many cases is like undoing the things that they've been told that I don't feel like is really accurate. And whether that's a statistic or you're going to have this forever, I think, how do they know? How do they know? They don't know. It's so dynamic. We are a dynamic, living, changing system, vastly different day to day, week to week. It's not, we're not concrete. We're not stone. You can't tell me that that won't change. If you apply different tools and resources to the body, it has to change. If you change its environment, it will change. And you can't even like stop change in your body if you want, but you can sure guide how to, you know, put that into a really healthy and vital channel, or you can make changes that are completely unhealthy for the system. Like it's all, it's all available. That analogy of garden versus machine. Holy shit. When you said that, I was like, my brain, like, (laughs) it's so good because it's, it's so true. I, I, the personal responsibility thing, I mean, as a mindset coach, as someone who really likes to hear the stories that pe- like, I love to hear people's programs. Like, how are you programmed to think and talk? And you can see it. Like, I, I don't judge people for it. Obviously, I don't care. I'm, I'm, it's, I'm so curious about how you learned to get to that place that you are. And I like to, to take it even deeper is how have you learned to be mindless? How have you learned to be mindless and mindless being, you know, who you are, you know, what the truth is you are, you know, as soon as you know, then what happens? Your mind shuts off. You don't, you, you stop thinking about it. You stop questioning it. You know, so this is this, I use this example and I've said this on the podcast before Dr. Ellen Langer, she's a mindfulness guru at Harvard, I think, or some Ivy league school. Um, And she says one plus one equals two. Right. And everyone in her class is like, yeah, it's like they get frustrated. They're like, that's the easiest equation ever. One plus one equals two. And so she says, so, you know, that one plus one equals two. And they're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she says, okay, well, what's one cloud plus one cloud? What's one pile of laundry plus one pile of laundry. It's like, it's one, but it's bigger. But then you're like, oh, and that moment that you start to think critically about it, oh, maybe I'm not. Now you're being mindful. Now you're opening the door to something a little bit different. And it's just so curious that so many people probably come to you completely mindless. They don't know they're mindless. They just think that they know who they are and they keep repeating the same energetic thought loops or whatever you want to call it. And then they see you and you're like, oh, well, here's the crack of the door. You want to take a peek peek outside of this train of thought? I think it's just so interesting. Um, And sorry, that was a bit of a tangent. And one of the things I love about what you do is you talk about and embrace a lot of psychological things within your work. For example, stillness. You're a big stillness person. (laughs) Talk to me a little bit about that. So... This might be a good moment to dovetail into Gene Keys a little bit. I, I love yeah. Gene Keys. And, you know, there's some crossover with human design, but one of the beautiful mm-hmm. elements, uh, Gene Key 48, is in my purpose sphere. And and really, if you don't know about Gene Keys. Yeah, talk about Gene Keys a little bit. Yeah. Um, this amazing human being, Richard Rudd, sort of 
well, wrote the Gene Keys book, channeled the wisdom, <clears throat> was a student of human design for many, many years, studied under, studied under Ra, the, the human design guy. Yeah. And really just synthesized the I Ching and the different hexagrams of what makes up people. And so there's an astrological base, but there's also a really deep base of our own soul blueprint. So to me, and one of the most helpful things about learning Gene Keys and learning human design is I got to understand me more. I got to understand my giftings. I got to understand some of my my shortcomings or shortfalls. And you know, you mentioned stillness. That's Gene Key fifty two. Okay. And it's because the opposite at the low end of the hexagram is stress. And I remember like kind of laughing about that a little bit because it's in my life's work sphere. So it goes from stress at the shadow frequency to restraint as a gift. And then stillness is the, the highest frequency, the Cidic frequency. And so I'm like, just, so just stress, that's my life's work, <laughs> you know, to be stressed or work with, <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. What and does really, that mean? <laughs> well, it's like, as I've understood it more and more, as I come into stillness, as I come into balance, as I slow down, as I become more patient, that's when there's so much more wisdom that can come forward. And then as I transcend stress in my own body and my own psyche, I then can support other people to do the same because I figured out the path because this was like the, the hero's journey or here's like the challenge that you get for Kevin and his life's work. It's just going to be stress. And so I remember mm -hmm. having a somebody years ago who's doing gene keys and he looks at that and he's like so no doubt you've had a lot of stress in your life and i'm just like i yeah i guess but do we get used to it kind of downplayed a little bit but no there's obviously everybody goes through stressful things but what we do with it very very different and so conversely going to gene key 48 the city is wisdom and one of the lines i love about that key because we're talking about it richard says in the book wisdom is in the not knowing because knowledge is very mm -hmm. very different and so as i've tried to understand that more and more over the years i find that when i let go of the things i think i know mm -hmm. my own programs my own limiting beliefs all those different things then wisdom starts actually dropping in and showing up and so i've been practicing that with patients for years is yes, I've learned a lot in medicine. I've done thousands of hours of training in addition to Chinese medicine because I love knowledge. I'm not going to say mm -hmm. I don't. I love it. It helps me. And when there's somebody sitting in front of me, this, you know, living, breathing entity of, of energy coming together that is so beautiful and complex, if I drop all that stuff, I think I know about the body and medicine and all these other things and just listen to them and tune in there's like wisdom that starts to show up and I find myself saying things or reflecting things that I don't even know where it's coming from. And then they're crying and they're having like breakthroughs <laughs> and things. I'm like, this is amazing. I don't even know what's happening right now, but I kind of do. And I'm, I'm allowing space and I'm coming into stillness. And that might be one of the biggest keys in medicine. I feel like is if a patient comes in, you can imagine if you came and saw me, and you're busy in your life and everything else. And we are doing that busyness in the clinic. We're not going to get to the depth that's actually like deeper in the body, deeper in the nervous system, deep in the emotional, you know, wounding or these time capsules that get stuck in our body that we have no idea about. You got to slow down for that. And the more I come mm -hmm. into slowness in my own body and, and hold that stillness, then I find the person that I'm with, they come into stillness. 
And I did have a patient probably a month ago now say, this is the most I've ever sat still in my entire life through this whole visit. Cause it was a long visit. And she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and it wasn't until she said that I was like, uh, I'm just sitting here having yeah. conversation, but I could tell in my body, I was so relaxed and so calm and like in the moment and, and in full presence that it changes time and it changes what people feel. And it opens up these vast areas in our bodies that we had no idea about. Ooh. And stillness is oftentimes incredibly difficult. I would imagine the journey to stillness. Well, I can only speak to myself because I can speak firsthand about it is that it is stressful (laughs) at the beginning. (laughs) Like when you learn to sit with yourself and be just be, it's such a different change of pace. And one of the biggest times that I experienced that was when I stopped skiing, when I stopped competing, uh, Mm. it was such a life of travel, of work, of intense highs, adrenaline rushes. Like you can't believe, you know, standing on the top of a mountain with thousands of people watching and cameras in your face and dropping in to a mogul course and slaying a run and winning and getting, you know, like all of these, these chemicals in the body are just like, it's like bliss. It's like, holy shit. And you're like going crazy to not doing that, to like go from that life to nothing. Like life after sport for me, was just like this depression. I didn't have those natural uppers that I had the whole time. And I didn't know what to do with myself. I don't know. This is just me sort of hypotheticizing at the time. Like I didn't know. And having to just sit through the discomfort of the shift of the energy in my life and in my body and let it go because there was so much for, I'm still, I'm working with uh, this woman right now. She does the matrix reprogramming. Have you heard of this before? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm doing, she's like basically putting my skeleton back together and she put three ribs back in that have been out for, I don't know, 15 years, just a little bit. And she's like, cause the vibration of just hitting moguls, like boom, 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 boom. Like for 15 years, (laughs) your body has all this energy. Anyways, I'm, I'm going way off on a tangent now, but the stillness for me was a huge, difficult thing. It felt stressful. It felt like I wasn't doing it right. It felt like I couldn't meditate. It felt like I didn't want to be alone. I didn't want, I wanted someone to fix it. I wanted someone to make me feel better. Tell me what to do. I'm a doer. Give me the checklist so I can check it all off instead of just like, like breathing and being even with the thoughts and paying attention to what I'm paying attention to and just sitting in that stillness with someone, just sitting without your phone, without the TV on, like, is that what you're talking about? What the, give me, talk to me a little bit more about the magic of stillness and what it feels like for people and how people get, sorry, there's 10 questions in a row, how people get from the chaos to the stillness. I think we got to take things in bite-sized chunks sometimes because I know for me in the past, I'd see the goal, I'd see the thing that I wanted mm-hmm. and there's maybe like, you know, a football field in between those. And I, I would often get stuck without, you know, I just wanted to do one big giant step and then just be there. Yeah. And over time I've learned, yeah, you got to break it up a little bit. And even just a little bit of forward progress is still progress. So in terms of the stillness, 
I'm glad you mentioned that. Like in the beginning, doesn't feel comfortable, especially when you've wired your neurology to be on performing, training, traveling, doing like really pushing all the time. Yeah. The neural net that is set up in your brain by that point is completely geared towards all that. So when you try and shift that, it's like a short circuiting it almost. And that feels totally in the dark, totally unknown, totally foreign. The neurochemicals in your body could actually physically make you feel agitated because of that, because you're going against the pathway that's there. So I often tell people just to touch into it a little bit and then go back to doing it's okay you don't have to like flop that full like program around in one day what do you mean touch into it like notice it what do you mean by touch into it let's say you're like okay i'm gonna meditate i'm gonna i'm gonna slow down i'm going into stillness (laughs) all fucking day right now yeah and that's kind of the north american mindset too is like I'm going to do stillness bigger and badder than anybody. I'm yeah. going to do 24 hours of stillness or whatever. And instead, <laughs> like, what about two minutes in the middle of your day at lunchtime to just take a few deep breaths into the diaphragm, breathe through your nose, feel your feet on the ground, and then have that as a practice, as a doorway of just cracking it open a little bit and then maybe do that twice a day and then maybe do that three times a day because that'll be more effective than planning one day a month where you're just going to like sit there all day you won't do it you'll go nuts so when i say like touch into it a little bit just bite-sized pieces and you can call it like titrating things down and this is sometimes how we work with trauma if there's like a really big trauma you may not have the capacity or the the physicality or the the mental state to unpack that fully in like one session or one day. No but kidding. Mm-hmm. It like touch into a layer of a piece of it with support in a slow way. That's what the nervous system often needs for healing. It's got to have slowness. Then maybe you, you change that charge a little bit and then take a break, like walk away from it, go into nature, move, do the things. I love moving my body. I love exercise and I love running in the forest, hiking, whatever especially to process emotions, especially to process whatever's going on in my mind. And then when I'm feeling good again, I may come back, peel another layer. So with stillness, you can build it into your day, honestly, like two minutes of like a little reminder on your phone or something to like, and you could even write it in there, stillness. And you could have fun with it and you could play with it. It's like, all right, I'm going to be still. And you could literally just try sitting there for two minutes and don't even try to stop thinking about things. Give your mind something to do. Think about a favorite tree in the forest you have for a minute and it'll Mm -hmm. change what's going on in your body. It doesn't have to be these like huge things usually because we see a lot online where, you know, somebody's like meditating every day all the time for like three hours and it seems like a really lofty goal, but we don't see the rest of their life and, and what they're doing, but we can put in these little practices that allow us to start building neurology in that way. So you can practice stillness and get good at it just like you did training with ski and in, uh, in the past and freestyle whatever you start focusing on in training that will get stronger it'll get better it's just like building a muscle physically you can build your mental muscle and then start stacking it up so now i am at the point where i have like a chair that i sit in and a friend of mine we have sitting chairs we just call it contemplation chairs love it we just sit there for an hour and do nothing i might think about things too but I, I kind of make it fun. I'm like, I wonder if I can just sit here and 
just stare at the wall or stare outside. Like, what would that be like for my body? And my body turns out it loves it now. In the beginning, not so much. Yeah. And going back to the animal kingdom, every single animal, I think, mammals, sit still. They sit still. They're not thinking. They're sitting in the moment. They're observing their surroundings and they react and respond to that instinctually. Like they don't have a thinking mind. I don't know if anyone has cats, my cat will just sit and like stare in the same spot, the whole, it's like, what's happening to you? And we judge that as being like dumb, but we're the dumb ones. <laughs> we're the ones avoiding the the simplicity of being with ourselves. And just, as you say, tuning into something like you can think about things. That's the other thing too, that a lot of people think stillness is, is like this, like monk on a Tibetan deck in front of the sun being this like Buddhist or something or reaching enlightenment. It's like, no, it can literally be two minutes in the middle of the day at work. Well, and you can apply it to anything because, you know, all the books I've read over the years and all the things that I've tried to understand about the psyche Mm -hmm. sitting in traffic or, you know, having conversation with a friend, can you be present in that and just like be in the experience Um, excuse me. So how can we be like the the monk in the yeah. daily life? Because I'm not going to live in a monastery anytime soon. <laughs> um, I fantasize about being in the woods on my own plenty, but I also want to be in life. I want to be engaging and interacting with people and in community and being of service. And I know I need my alone time. That is one of the things that I do to reset my system. I didn't used to do that in the past because I didn't yeah. even know I needed it. And then when I started taking a little bit of time, I realized how good it felt and that I could give myself permission to do that because that's what I needed. Then I would come back and I'd be way more effective in the clinic, way better conversations, be way more present with my kids or anybody I was in relationship with. And then then I'm like fully there. Then I'm fully engaged. And I think one of the scary things that can happen when you start touching into stillness or just slowing down all the unprocessed stuff that you have in your psyche, it starts washing up a little bit. And that is one of the reasons a lot of people then get up and go do something for distraction because they don't like the feeling that's trying to like come up. Maybe it's grief, maybe it's mm-hmm. anger. And so they'll immediately turn towards something else and project it on other people or project it back on themselves and then just get really agitated and go and have to do something. And, you know, you got to follow what you need to do. And if you know that's going to come up, what if you could give yourself some time to process an emotion? And actually, I've done this, like, scheduled time to process grief because it's so easy to skip and it's uncomfortable. It's not fun, you know, and there's times I've, like, scheduled two or three hours for myself to go sit in nature by the water because I could feel the whole week there was this grief that was building in my system and I didn't know what it was but I couldn't go into it because of timing or obligations. So I was like, I know I need to allow this forward. And then I'd go sit on a rock, literally looking at the water. I'm like, okay, grief. I'm inviting you forward right now. Like it's, it's time. I'm making time for this. And then it would come up. And part of me is like, wait a minute. I take it back. (laughs) too intense because there's like so much that maybe comes through with whatever it is yeah but i knew i could hold that and work with it because i've cultivated skill sets and you know done a lot of sessions and discovery of myself 
that I knew whatever would come up, I could greet it. And it may not be fun, but I know how important it is to sit with it. And then, you know, maybe two or three hours later, as I'm like wiping everything away, I'm like, all right, I think that's good for today. I yeah. almost got all of it, but there's still more. But like, I am going to pause now and learning that we can pause when we get into the depth when we need and give ourselves, yeah, a nice, you know, walk in the forest with friends, whatever is nourishing, and then touch in again when you're ready. Do you give that grief like to the, to the nature, like to the earth? Do you like yeah. visualize the frequency of grief leaving your body? Like, how do you let go of, how do you process emotions in these, in these, in these exercises you do? I think for that particular example, cause I've done that plenty and it might show up in different ways. Cause it also finds me when I'm not expecting it. And right. you know, somebody says something or you just have a memory or some, like you, I see my kids doing something and I have a memory of when they were young or like whatever. Yeah. And then it's there. And then I kind of decide, should I go into this right now or can I? And sometimes yes, sometimes no. And I might just go into it a little bit. It doesn't have to be like the full book each time you're going to yep. open up book to read you know you can just read a couple pages sort of thing and so I love nature for this reason because I feel so nursed in nature maybe that's not how everybody feels but like wherever you do feel safe nourished supported I love being around animals and plants and trees and water and so when I'm sitting by the water or by a creek or a waterfall and I want to go into that I just I ask for support from the elements and mm -hmm. I ask for from the trees and I might just sit there with my back up against a tree and I'm like, you know, especially a big old wise tree. And I'll ask like, can I sit here? Can you help me right now? I'm really struggling and I don't even know what I need help with. And then I just trust that something is going to move through. And then maybe I start to have an insight because now I'm curious and listening. And if there's running water by, I will envision that some of this shadowy energy or things that I'm struggling with or, or my own self judgment or something like that, that I could give it over to the water. And I asked the water, like, could you transform this for me? Could you transmute this for me and turn it back into usable, clean energy? Mm. And, and I'll envision that it does flow from my body and flows into the water. I'm like, yes, thank you, water element. You know, thank you, trees. Thank you, forest. And even after 10, 15 minutes of that, 20 minutes, it's never not worked. Like to me, nature has a hundred percent success rate. If talking statistically speaking, yep. I've always felt better when I gave myself stillness and nature, like every time. And so I encourage people to find what is that for you? There's gotta be something somewhere, even a little bit that you can connect into and then allow your own energy to start speaking to you and, and just pause and listen. It's so freaking true. Like nature has such a calming, grounded frequency of isness of like being. And it's, it's so crazy because mother nature ain't kind all the time. Like in our, in our thinking mind, when we see a tornado destroying everything, or when we're in hurricane winds, or it's like flooding or fires, like th that is nature as well at its best at its natural state, but the frequency of it all is just so in alignment and balanced. And it's, however, I have, I have one thing. So I am with you. I think being in nature, being still do being outside, getting fresh air, connecting, earthing, grounding, those types of things are 
a hundred percent in my practice. Without them, I am, I am out of alignment. I can get out of alignment. I can get triggered faster. I can feel tired more. I can whatever. There's a, a million things that happen. However, if I have like a headache, for example, I can just take a Tylenol and it's going to probably go away. I could also go outside and get fresh air, but the fresh air doesn't necessarily, or the walk in nature or the grounding or the feeling my emotions or letting them go doesn't, for me, that is a consistency thing. I stay consistent with it. And so, and therefore my symptom, I sort of heal through the consistency of connecting to that frequency. Do you know what I'm saying? So oftentimes I see people say, well, I tried to go for a walk and it didn't do anything. It's like, okay, well, (laughs) first of all, like if you're, if you're going for that walk, thinking the same shit you were thinking, not going for a walk and just like bringing that with you, that's could be problematic Two is like, how are you shedding? I like how you said you're like giving it or you're releasing it in nature. I like literally walk down the street and I like do this somatic stuff because it's an energy that I want to get it out of my freaking body. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm saying a lot of things here, but can you speak to that a little bit? Like the, yeah, the instant gratification it, thing, I guess, again. Well, there's, there's a balance and this is what I mean. And so everybody mm-hmm. gets to decide where that is for them that, I get it. Maybe you have a presentation that day. You have something that you have to do or you believe you have to do for your your kids or your life or your work or something that you feel like there's no way of getting out of it, headache or not. So maybe you'll take the thing or do the thing to get you through that. And that's okay. You don't have to be perfect. This isn't about of like leading an exemplary exemplary life like every moment of every day is that's not realistic. I don't hold that on myself. I do my best, but Mm -hmm. I I know I'm going to, you know, mess up here and there or trip myself. So you got to decide the bigger picture, just like you said, is getting into nature, something that's like healthy, short-term, medium-term, long-term, I believe. Yes. But these practices, they're not just for that day. They're for every day after that. And, you know, for months and years ahead of time. And sometimes your body's going to say, I need a break. I got a headache. Something's coming up. Maybe you slept wrong, slept funny, overdid it. It's a muscle thing or it's energetic or it's emotional. And there's something that is wanting to be released. So what I would encourage people to do, if you have to do an intervention, try and choose something that's as natural as possible and experiment. You know, a lot of people use acupressure and that'll sort of their headache out and they've learned how to do it or they do mm-hmm. EFT tapping or they use yeah, tapping. Oil. Ooh, I love tapping. Yeah, so there's, there's like so many tools available now that just even opening your mind that it's not just Advil or Tylenol that there could be Arnica as a homeopathic or there could be mm-hmm. like frankincense as essential oil or there's like there, I won't go into all of them because there's so many. Yeah, there's so many. But there's a lot of options now that I think people didn't really know about because they didn't talk about it. It was like, no, if you have an issue, take Tylenol pretty much for everything. And it's like, wait a second, depending on your your friends, your environment, maybe they say, hey, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Actually, it works even better and it works even faster. So there's those things. But then also to take a, a higher level view, especially if it's recurrent. Why am I getting headaches all the time? Like, what is what is this? And that's where we can use stillness to come into that presence of curiosity is something's going on here. My body's trying to get my attention. That's always what it is. The body is always speaking to us. We don't always listen necessarily, but if we listen, 
it doesn't usually have to speak very loudly. And there's mm-hmm. times in my life where it spoke really loudly to me or, or something happens or you have like a major wipeout or an injury to get your attention, especially things that are recurrent. Something needs to shift. We don't always know what it is in the beginning, but it, there's always something there. At least that's how I feel like it's not just random events every moment of every day, especially when it comes to illness. It's like some mystery from a conventional medicine point of view, like nobody knows where autoimmune diseases come from. And I'm like, ah, I think a lot of us do know, actually. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into that because I I want to talk about autoimmune disease. I want to talk about sort of the emotional dysfunction that I'm seeing maybe through social media, the presence of AI, and we don't necessarily have to get into that, but like what social media is doing to people's attention spans and information and um, just a mental instability. And also you said something recently about getting used to feeling unwell how like our normal just on a sliding scale is so shit right now. People mm-hmm. don't feel well and they're calling it normal. Yes. And then, and then the taking the Tylenol is what they know. So they're mindless. They know that I can take a Tylenol. They don't have the crack, the openness, the mindfulness to see that there's another way. And then they just keep, I feel like, there's a slow downward spiral of our health. It is, it's like alarming. Is it alarming to you? I'm alarmed most of the days, (laughs) I would say. (laughs) And that's something I'm getting used to. I'm like, oh, I'm alarmed today. Yep, just like yesterday. And and so it is all relative. What do we Mm. get used to? And you could say this about work, career, relationships, health, like across the board. And a good friend of mine years ago was talking about complacency Mm. versus bliss, my friend Mm -hmm. Emily. And that was a really interesting thing to touch into is like, where am I being complacent in my life? And you know what, to really think about that, you got to sit down for a minute and slow down and do a bit of an inventory of oh shit, I'm letting this thing slide over here because I'm afraid to address it or I don't want confrontation or I'm just unsure of what to do next. So I'll just avoid it. Yeah. Pretend that's not happening and that'll just sort itself out. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. I'll just <laughs> put it work? over there. Yeah. You know, put it in the sort itself out file. Doesn't hasn't worked for me anyway. Never. And then where am I choosing bliss? And in a relationship, in health, in my mission, in work, like any of these things can be applied, even with food. Mm. Where am I choosing like a a higher state? And this other notion of, am I coming from love or am I coming from fear? And Mm. I find those for me when I check in, those are like barometers of how I'm responding to a, a situation or how I'm wanting to create or build something. Is it out of like fear or lack because I'm trying to avoid pain or avoid something that I don't want? Or is it because I'm moving from a loving place for myself and for others and I, I want to experience bliss? And bliss to me doesn't mean like high on yeah. substances or like the bliss point of the Doritos. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it's more of a, a calm embodied feeling of being present even if there's something uncomfortable you could kind of still be in this place of appreciation for it and so when i see patients in the clinic 
with autoimmune conditions, which is just skyrocketing and going back to the alarming, like what is happening on this planet? Yeah. What's happening with our food, with medicine, all these things. And the, the positive aspect, because I like to look at things as openly as I can, that these are ways of getting our attention for those that are curious and listening of, oh, yeah, this isn't sustainable anymore. It's not sustainable to work 80 hours a week for 10 years and not expect something to go on with your body or override when you want rest or when you want to be away from people continuously, your body's going to have something to say about that. And so I think the big, like the, the high view is that there's the disconnection kind of where we started this conversation, disconnection with self. We've kind of forgot in some ways what it's like to just be calm and not be hyper stimulated. And I think one of the things about nature, especially trees as an example, are sitting on a rock. They're not efforting. Nothing in nature is like efforting or trying to be something different. This is what I think about when I'm sitting with the tree. The tree is good with itself. It's not second guessing if it should be a different tree or, you know, if it wants to like get up and move to a better location. It is who it is. It's so calm in its own presence. And I think that's one of the things that then I can attune to in my body is get more into the effortless flow because when the body's under stress and tension continuously for all the hundreds of reasons, it's not a sustainable equation. It's going to bump into itself again and again. And I think that's where autoimmunity really stems from is living out of balance or living out of alignment with key pieces in our life, either, you know, food or diet or relationships or work or purpose. Usually it's all of the above. And then the body is going to try and get your attention. And so this idea that the body just randomly attacks itself to me is such bullshit because the innate wisdom of the body would never do that unless there was a reason, you know, mm-hmm. we, we don't turn on ourselves just because, and it's like, Oh, my thyroid or this organ or that organ is suddenly gone rogue trying to take me down. There's always something underneath that the intelligence of the body is going to try and engage with to sort it out. And if we don't listen to that, It'll just keep turning that fire up more. The alarm bells go up and up and up. And sometimes then it is huge inflammation in the system. But usually it's because something got off track further back in that pathway and it's been unaddressed continuously. And then we tell the body with medications, and I'm not trying to knock doctors or patients that are on biologics or sort of anti-immune system meds. You know, everybody's doing what they're doing and trying to help. But what I've noticed in the clinic is the body has this innate wisdom. And then we come along and think we're smarter than that and say, oh, body, you don't know what you're doing. You got confused. You're wrong. We're going to shut down this response that you have to make everything happy in the system and take your symptoms away. Meanwhile, you've just like duct taped the mouth of the system. You've put it in the dark and you said, we're not listening to you anymore because we don't want to hear what you have to say. And I know that might sound kind of harsh, but if we can look at that a little bit as a collective and society, there's like, as you know, you know, there's generational trauma that's wanting to be expressed. There's, you know, past life stuff. Maybe there's like a million different things. uh, The energy is just wanting to come forward and it'll find a way in the body. And I've had coaches and mentors of mine say, Kevin, your body will get your attention one way or the other, especially when things have come up for me. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's got my attention now. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have to address some things and then just, yeah, coming into that of like, well, let's do some work on that and see, cause I I know there's something and I always like illuminating that. 
Oh, that's so interesting how you get hooked on that though. You're first on a thyroid medication and then you're on, I don't know, um, Ozempic and then you're on a statin and then you're on what, like all of a sudden you're, you're like those, that, that, that medication stacking that I just said was probably not the correct order. I'm not a doctor. Um, but all of a sudden you're 65, 70 years old and you're on three or more medications, just like masking the symptoms. And overall, like you might have something like a vitamin D deficiency or just some sort of imbalance that's creating all these things. And all of a sudden you've been diagnosed, your mind starts thinking you have these things. Those are frequencies that's creating shit in you. And you're just like the swirling mass of subconscious negative negativity that's like living in your body mm-hmm. and all your cells are just like while they're like vibrating for, yeah they're yeah. looking for something to be different and i think this is where in in looking at health and medicine as a society especially north america i'm not okay with it and mm-hmm. you know they talk about in spirituality just like acceptance and these other things and i'm part of like i don't know if i can accept this with humanity that we could do better when it comes to health and that has something that's become completely normalized by the time people are like 45 50 years old now yeah if they're not on medication that's actually becoming more of a rarity and especially if they're 65 70 and i have a lot of patients that aren't on medications and they tell me when they go to the doctor or they go to a clinic or a checkup or something like that, they always ask them, what medications are you on? And if they say none, everybody stops and pauses and like, what? What do you yeah. mean you're not on medication? You're 70, nothing? And I think, how has that become the norm? It's because there's so many things going on that are not in alignment and we've become disconnected that it's become acceptable to be on a handful of medications that we don't really know what they truly do to the body because there's no research on that either. Yeah. And then we're we're in this kind of perpetual state of complacency of like, yep, that's okay. Because the opposite is usually requiring people to address things. And I get it. It's not comfortable. It's not fun. It's not always fun seeing me in the clinic either because I'll ask you questions that might be hard or will bring up emotions, but I I love and care enough about my patients and the world around me that it's okay to be uncomfortable in there because I think people can feel the genuine nature that I am there and I do care about them and that I wanna do this journey with them and they're gonna need to take self-responsibility because Mm -hmm. I care about their long-term health because I don't wanna give them a Band-Aid because then they're just back the next week and I feel like I haven't really helped them how is that helpful? Short term? Sure. Yes. Let's like stop the bleeding, whatever that is. Yeah. But then let's get into the deeper part. And, you know, more and more over time, if somebody doesn't want to move into that space, then they're not really the person for me because I don't want to make them do something they don't want to do. That's not that's not fair for me to expect either. So the people that want to do the deep work, that's uh, that's what uh-huh. lights me. <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah. You have to want to want. I'm not, I'm done. I saw, I read a quote the other day. Maybe it was you that posted it. I don't remember, but it was something like, um, I'm not here to wake up the sheep. I'm here to wake up the lions, like the people that are going to go and do it. Not that a lion's going to do more than a sheep because whatever, but I just, it resonated with me because I'm trying to, I, I like, I, humanity is all at different levels. And I think You said it best when the taking personal responsibility, like we need to take responsibility for ourselves and the world right now, society, culture, media, 
big corporations, they're always making you focus your attention on the enemy, on the problem and not on yourself. And we, so we become comfortable in saying, you made me feel that way. It's my thyroid condition. It's my kids. It's the stress. Like we're, but we're saying yes to this. We're mm-hmm. saying no to this. We're making those decisions. And as adults, if we can't zoom out and actually critically think or see that health is all encompassing, we're, we're forgetting that. And I think there are people like you that are reminding us all the time, which is super fantastic. So like, how can people take, if they're, if they're listening today, how can they take a little bit more responsibility for their health? What are some things that people can do like right now? Right now, I think it's important to also discern that when I'm saying self-responsibility, I'm not saying do it solo, isolate yourself like shame yourself, put yourself in your room until you like do better. I would say the opposite, start sharing more of what you're experiencing with people that are close to you. Or Mm -hmm. if you don't have anybody that's close to you that you feel like you can share with, that is something to look at as well. Where am I putting my focus and energy in relationships? And if there's not something that can be helpful and nourishing and has like a beautiful flowing you know giving and receiving element to it Mm -hmm. then they need to find new relationships and new friends and i tell patients this all the time because usually if there's major health issues going on something fairly major has to be addressed in your external life too and again could be work could be career could be relationships and it doesn't mean you have to change all of those things because i've seen patients do that whole scale shift everything gets thrown off the table sometimes it works um But maybe there's like one main component that you can begin with. Pick the low-hanging fruit first, build your confidence, but really opening up and taking a chance of being vulnerable and trusting your intuition with the right people that you could take a bit of pressure off yourself, that we don't have to carry everything alone. And so I am a big proponent, especially now, of asking for support and help because a lot of people might say, this is all really good that you're talking about this stuff, but like... I don't have anybody that can help me with this, or I don't know where to go next. If you take a moment and pause, really, you know, just breathe for a minute or two and maybe write a list down of who might be able to help me with this thing or what type of person might be able to support me. Could be a coach, could be a a friend, a mentor, a practitioner, could be your neighbor, could be that um, that retired neighbor that you see outside brushing their leaves or whatever every day. They might have like wisdom for you that's yeah. just waiting, but you haven't talked to them. And so like building relationships, I think is one of the most important things, which is also one of the reasons that I love doing like events and retreats and working outside the clinic, because to me, that's like a, a, a better or sometimes different way of building relationships so people can come together and like you and I were at the MYM conference yeah we saw each other but we didn't talk to each other but here we are so something yeah. may happen yeah that when you're in a room with a bunch of people that maybe have similar interests or similar values you can start actually connecting and building off that energy that's coming together and suddenly oh you share this thing and somebody you're talking to knows this other person And that's a pathway for you. It creates an opening and they show you, hey, there's a doorway here. And that interactiveness in person is so powerful for healing. And especially if we're kind of guiding it in a a really clear way and a really safe way. I did a post recently that was called like, find your people. And Mm. that 
might be more important now than ever. And it's not always your neighbors. It's not always maybe your family of origin and maybe it is, but it doesn't have to be. It could be somebody else. It could be somebody you meet online and it could be somebody you meet at an event or a conference. And maybe that turns into a, a long-term healthy relationship where you can share. And then you're not carrying all this stuff on your own all the time. And another reason I go into nature is nature helps me carry these things. Yes. 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 People. So if there is anything, start connecting with the people around you and start feeling into who or what type of person might be able to, or might have some wisdom or guidance for you. Maybe they've already been down that pathway and it's just like one piece of information. And then getting back to in-person conversation, I think is, you know, beautiful key of like no phones, no screens, any of these things. And I love technology for what we can use it for, but then maybe have somebody come and join me sitting beside me in the uh, contemplation chair and we just kind of sit and <laughs> hang out and look at the leaves or something. And so that there's like this calming energy that can come into that space. And maybe even you get into deep conversation and maybe even gets a little bit heated, but the heart can be enlivened by that. You know, it can be, you know, sparked into having a new thought or a new perspective because we're healthy in a healthy way, hopefully challenging each other from love, not from fear. That's so good. So where can people find you? How can, what are you, what are you doing next? Do you have some retreats coming up? Like how, what, this is amazing. I do. I got stuff. (laughs) Yeah. What do you got? What do you got? What are you doing? December 16th in the Okanagan, North Okanagan, Enderby, BC, to be specific, at the Splat Scene Community Center, we are doing another new human event. We did. Oh, what's um, new human? Year. What's new human? Oh, it sounds new, fun. <laughs> the new human. I got my got my own swag on right now because this shirt is yeah. simple, like the, the material. Love it. It's so- um, this, yeah, this, I got my, got my crew shirt on here. Oh, cool. Love it. So we, I've done a few bigger events and I've done lots of smaller retreats. I've done like private one-on-ones or groups of like six or eight people, you know, 15, 20 people. And I love those because we can get so deep because there'll be like two day, three day. I've done five, six day ones as well. You can imagine the level of depth that you can get to with Mm -hmm. that much focus and energy and intention on like a a group of people and for them, for themselves too. Mm -hmm. And then I started doing bigger events where it was like a one day mini retreat with like a hundred people. And I thought, what if we could just make it really accessible? Um, You know, not a huge time commitment, not a huge financial commitment that somebody could kind of dip their toe in, still receive guidance, wisdom, healing, different processes that might open things up for them. And again, maybe they would meet somebody in that audience that was in a similar wavelength too. And that has happened a lot now. And so we did another event um, in June this year, June, 2023 called the new human. And this was kind of the, the first of its kind of a vision that dropped in probably while I was like sitting in my contemplation chair of what I'm here to do. And I'm hel- I, I'm here to help illuminate that which is often unseen and bring things mm-hmm. forward to somebody's life and kind of spark that medicine within them. And mm-hmm. that's what I love in the clinic is getting people to heal themselves. And yes, I'm helping. Yes, I'm guiding, but they are still the one that has to do it. It's still happening in their body and in their mm-hmm. life. And so taking a lot of what I've learned in the clinic over the last 15 years into retreat settings or into like one or two day events has been really gratifying 
exciting, fun. And then what happens in the room when everybody's kind of vibing at a similar frequency, a similar wavelength, like miraculous things take place. It's really amazing, actually, like literally after a one day or two day event, there's different people walking out the door that walked in. And so we're going to do another one in December here, December 16th. And tickets are on sale right now. Amazing. Uh, like harness the the winter solstice type energy, the yin, you know, a lot of what we're talking about, the slowing down, mm-hmm. getting into those deep places that maybe we don't always look into mm-hmm. and bringing light to those areas and bringing illumination to those areas because those are the things that are often keeping us stuck with our health, with relationships, with life in, in any way and helping, you know, bring presence and attention to those areas in a, a beautiful, but still a potent way where we can harness the energy around us and we can work together to really do a deep dive and then come out the other side, like higher than where we started. That sounds freaking epic. Love it. Um, do you have social media? Yes. Uh, yes it's just, uh, Dr. Kevin Preston. So just Dr. Kevin Preston on Instagram and drkevinpreston.com is the website. And so we've got the, the new human winter solstice info is up there, event stuff. And you can, you know, find a bunch of material there. And if you're following me on Instagram, I am on there a little bit and, and trying to practice sharing more with the world. Cause I can easily go into the forest and unplug and then forget that social media exists. And like, oh, wait, I do need to like tell people about what I'm doing. <laughs> don't just telepathically <laughs> automatically know. I don't know why, but I guess I still have to <laughs> speak and share about these things. But uh, I love doing healing events. That is what this event is. It is meant to be um, healing and bring in energy and vitality back into people's lives, especially in places mm-hmm. that maybe haven't been looked at for a while or maybe never. And they can discover something new about themselves and they get to do it together. And we're, we are stronger together, especially when we're coming into a, a group with that sort of loving support vibe. Yeah. Then way more is possible. So yeah, it's true. Like even coming home from MYM, it's taken me like a few weeks just to downregulate from that energy. It was so powerful. And I feel like anytime, especially after like COVID and being isolated for so long, we, we endure and we get through it and we're fine. And we say all the things, but really there is some deep, long lasting effects from that. And getting into a room with like-minded people, there's nothing like it. Do you do remote, um, um, work with people. Like I know there's people all over the world listening to the show. Yeah, I do. And I've got different programs coming online pretty soon. And okay. part of it, like, I'm so grateful. I have a really extensive waiting list and I'm working on what to do with that and yeah. be of service at the highest level. And so, you know, things like these events, I'm going to have more online events coming up as well. And we have been talking about possibly streaming, the event for people that can't make it in person and oh cool feeling into that right now is a possible option but um i do have other programs coming up over the next couple of months and into the new year that people can still work with me we'll have different group programs and then i do still do one-on-one elements and you know people can call the office and get on the waiting list i will warn you my staff may say it's a really big waiting list he's not taking any new people and so i'm right in this transition phase too of moving more into like training and mentoring and shifting what I'm doing because I do only have so much time in the day and I want to be really mindful of what is my impact here and am I being complacent in my career in any places Mm. 
exciting sort of higher states of support and impact in the in the world and so this is kind of my work right now and you know getting other people to help support me of asking me good questions to get in there deeper of how do i want to share you know what's in here and what i've learned with the world in a, a bigger way and so yeah if anybody hops on our mailing list or follows me on instagram then you'll be able to see all the stuff that's coming out soon and yeah thanks for asking that's exciting that people are waking up to this and really gravitating towards you and your energy you're definitely i love your energy i love what you're doing i binged watched all of your social media stuff over the last week and i'm so glad that our energies crossed Thank you so yeah, much for being too. here. Well, thanks for saying yes to my request of <laughs> linking up here. And I knew, like, I felt that we would have a good conversation. And I really appreciate your energy and what you're doing in the world as well. And so, yeah, thanks for this. Are you coming to MYM next year? I believe I will be. I got my ticket already. Uh, I better maybe. see you there. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Okay, I'm over here giving you a big virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Elisa and Filter podcast. If you haven't done so yet, I'd love for you to share the love and head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify and give this show a five-star rating. I'll give you bonus points for leaving a written review. And if you're looking for more, head over to elisaunfilteredcoaching.com for show notes and all the links to all things Elisa Unfiltered. Have the best day, everyone. Until next time. <laughs>